Right, so this is episode 22 of Music and More, and following on from our band reviewer debut album, it's uh, really nice to have Jim Abbis on the podcast. That's an absolute pleasure for us. Uh, obviously, we've got Pete Fletcher on as usual. But yeah, absolute pleasure to have Jim on. Thank you for coming on, Jim. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a long time, as we said. <laughs> so it'd be great to catch up, actually. Yeah, man, it's been far too long. Um, I don't know, you know, these things are always weird to know where to start, really. And I've been thinking about that in my own head in terms of this conversation. But I mean, I suppose one of the, the reasons for this podcast in the first place was to give fans sort of context, really, on, you know, everything that happened for us, and especially in the early days, and having people on who had, uh, you know, obviously a big impact on our music and, you know, our career in general, um, all those sorts of things. So it's great to have someone on like yourself to to talk about, I think, a good place to start, really, for me, would be, um, and this was, Pete was suggesting this as well, talking about the fact that, you know, when we were starting off as a band and getting these jams together and you know we had we, we got signed and we were looking at making a record and so you know we were talking to different people and hearing about different people as well because obviously we were really young as well and you know we wanted to hear sort of really cool names do you know what I mean and that was what attracted us to you was what we were doing at that point was you know, we were, well, we were really impressed with the, the names like Uncle and DJ Shadow, do you know what I mean? And bringing sort of that element into what we were doing. So I think it'd be interesting to, to sort of hear what sort of attracted you to us, really, do you know what I mean? In terms of wanting to work with us, because I found it interesting reading, been reading a few articles about you and stuff and sort of your ethos on the sort of bands you like to work with and stuff like that. So I just, I thought that'd be an interesting place to start anyway. Well, it is actually, mate. If I could pick up on you there, Adam, because like you were interested in like DJ Shadow and Uncle and that side of what I'd done. And I'd done a lot of stuff within, I guess you'd call it trip hop and the, yeah. that wider sort of area. Um, but actually for me, I'd, I'd grown up with kind of guitar bands and had got more and more into like, early hip hop and and kind of drum machines and that kind of thing and mm. messing around myself with stuff. And then I sort of got into that world and I was desperate to get back into bands again. Right. And and as I'm sure, well, you know this, it, the music industry tends to pigeonhole you as much as they can. And doesn't matter how many sort of times I'd sort of made noises about, no, I really want to get in with a band who can really play yeah. and do something different. And, and I wasn't thinking about what I'd just been doing work-wise and the genre at all. And I heard your stuff and I had a conversation with Dave Boyd, mm. your A&R man, and he said, I'm not sure how it's going to work out in the studio because these guys just love to get in a room and jam for hours. Mm. And I think no one was really making records with that at the, like that at the time. It was all worked out and sequenced and stuff. And that was the kind of way I'd done a lot of records. So to actually be in with, with sort of subconsciously having the sort of knowledge I had about what I'd done and then to go in a room with people who wanted to just jam mm -hmm. and how do you put <laughs> those two things together was fascinating for me personally yeah I think we, we tested the waters didn't we with the people yeah. EP I think that's kind of where we we went um and we tried things out I th and I think I think that's a good song to take really is maybe a first example anyway in the conversation really was kind of what we had and then what you brought to it do you know what I mean because yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you remember but the people was probably one of the the least formed ideas 
I think. Do you know what I mean? It, it yeah. was it was a jam. It was that riff, and Rob had you know a couple of vocal hooks, and we you know, and as Phil has talked about in previous podcasts, uh, obviously Phil's dance background, um, you know, his desire to to build uh, build tension, and then you know have drops and stuff like that. Um, but we tried to do that and never really took it anywhere. But you know that was you really helped us form that tune do you know what i mean and turn it into something that had that had real structure because i remember you came up to you came up to the did you did you see us live before you came up to the rehearsal rooms or did you oh, just did you just come up to the rehearsal rooms and sort of I stand? think i just came to the rehearsal room actually yeah and we just we just played what we had yeah 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 i remember you played you played a load of stuff to me um and yeah like i remember jag tune yeah and mm. i think you had the early incarnation of maybe dance then as well yeah oh, definitely quite yeah quite a few tunes obviously the, the ideas for the people and and at that point um it, i realized i was i was like i had it was like a double double edged sword for me mm-hmm. it was like how do we get like the excitement of when you're <laughs> off on one you lot yeah. and nothing 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 a freight train wouldn't stop you it's yeah. like how do you how do you harness that? But then all these ideas about how do you almost like how do you embrace club culture? How do you get this to sound great in a in a club yeah. or in a gig? I mean, it's it was like, and I know that obviously people have tried different ways of um, amalgamating those sort of styles of music, but nobody had really brought the idea of a band that jam, a band that had one foot in like Zeppelin yeah. into any kind of dance music area. I don't yeah. think. Oh yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, it, I actually sort of, I kind of left that first day, I think, excited, but also thinking, I don't know quite how we're going to do <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Our tune screamed that, definitely. And that, you know, like we we had all these, like you say, these cool, raggedy ideas, some of them more formed than others. But, you know, we were we were desperately excited to see how that turned out. And again, I'm trying to remember if you came out, you came up briefly and just met us. I think you might have done. I think did you come up? I did I came up for one day? Yeah, and then or, or, or whatever, and then I and I went back. Yeah, and then you did a bit more writing, and I think I think I asked you to send because I, I don't think you like sending out kind of recordings of rehearsals. It was like, no, nah, these aren't worked out yet, and I was like, no, but I really, really need them. Yeah, because because I, I just can't remember all the good bits. Yeah, and uh, and I think you agreed to send me some scratch recordings of a good jam. Right, and I started to I took it back and I started to just chuck them in the computer and start like trying to structure some ideas and go, oh, this bit is so killer. And it only goes for four bars. Then you, then you go off on one again. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, and uh, and I, I wasn't also wasn't sure how receptive you were going to be to, for, to me coming back and going, right, chaps, this bit here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. Let's only keep this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, to be fair, that was something that you did have to approach with, Kid gloves, I suppose. But again, I think what you had above everyone else was, um, and you know, I think in this scenario for me, I think Phil was always the the hardest customer to please. Do you know what I mean in terms of who we're bringing in and whose oh, idea, yeah. How, yeah. whose ideas we're going to accept? But because you'd work with people like Shadow and Uncle and stuff like that, you know, I'm not speaking for him, obviously, but in my mind, that would have instantly made Phil more receptive to someone like yourself going well i think this structure works better and you know i can i can say that for myself as well do you know what i mean it, we were i mean we were always receptive to ideas that were good 
Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, from your memory, did you have to force us very much? I don't, I mean, I don't think. No, no, but I, when I, like, I, I do think, I think Phil probably was the hardest to win over because mm. um, I think he, I think Phil was very focused on certain aspects and, and, and well, I'm not saying he wasn't bothered about other aspects, but he want obviously each musician generally wants their parts to be great, mm -hmm. but he was very focused on the whole rhythmic side and the whole build of tracks and stuff. And he wasn't going to accept someone just saying something for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, quite often he'd come back and go, well, why is that bit mm -hmm. going to go on that long? And I'm, I'm like, and I'd have to be like, well, I've got this idea. I don't know if it's going to work, but that we're going to build it with a, we're going to repeat this or whatever. And, and once you'd sort of, made some sense to me. He's like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd you know, pull yeah. off and it'd be fine. But it, you'd, have to, you'd have to justify your ideas, which is perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and also I think, you know, um, bands have, uh, you're, you're a gang. Yeah. And you're, there's, there's four of you and you're wary of this person you've never met before mm -hmm. who you're going to entrust to help you make your stuff sound as great as you want it to sound. And, yeah, yeah. And I think those relationships, it's like, you know, with a with a partner, you don't, you got to sort of kind of blindly trust them until you can really trust them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that comes into producer artist relations in that you've, you have to have some background. Like I've got to love the ideas I'm hearing. Yeah. And I'm like, I trust that you guys can do great ideas. Mm -hmm. And you've got to trust stuff I've done because you don't know I'm going to be in the studio that it's not going to be terrible. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of go into it, you do a, whatever we did an ep yeah, that's right yeah, yeah and by the end of that i was like oh i just can't i can't wait to get on with the album and oh, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh no definitely and i think that was i think that was apparent uh, your enthusiasm was really apparent and the, you know this is uh, to be honest as well that's something that's run through these podcasts with the guests we've had on you know even going back to tim Viggan, the manager and his yeah. his his infectious enthusiasm talking about um, our music and stuff, and then you know that's that came from Dave Boyd as well when we had Dave Boyd on um, when he was talking. You know, just that these were all people that when we first met them, you know, including yourself, um, it was like you well you showed appropriate levels of enthusiasm for what we were doing. Do you know what I mean? It you know it's always yeah. going to get people's backs up if if you feel like the producer's like, well, you're going to have to impress me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, while, the, while we did want to impress you, do you know what I mean? It was also an element of, like you say, um, it was a lot easier to trust you because you had such enthusiasm for the ideas. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, that's interesting to hear. I mean, yeah. Um, I, well, I think once we got, I think that first EP, well, I think the first rehearsals were odd because they were, it was like nobody wanted to say the wrong thing. And <laughs> well, I think that's a common kind of scenario. But yeah. I think by the time we were in the middle of that first EP, we'd kind of all relaxed. Oh, quite definitely. A lot I mean, like you say, the first ramp really, I think, was the you, you came up, heard some stuff, then you went away. And when you came back, it was more on the serious note of, all right, was it, I think, I, I can't remember how long it was exactly that you spent. Was it a week? Maybe even two? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think. And we, we spent that week going through the songs so you know from these four lads who from the age of well late 15 early 16 had just been jamming we've no we've never anyone talking about anything suddenly yeah. from my memory anyway you effectively just came in practice room and went right okay um so <laughs> everyone just turned down a bit and phil you know <laughs> don't hit him quite as hard and we're just going to go through these ideas and i'm going to say you know right okay that that bit's cool we should do that and stop stopping and starting and, and looking at things but you know that that for us while initially being really alien and almost terrifying 
I personally found it well. It was almost, again. It was almost uh, like it was almost like magic because what we'd spent so long thinking this is going to be ace man, but oh, you know we can't we can't sort of focus on it enough to make it concise enough. Suddenly, yeah. suddenly within a brief period of time with mostly s- structural things, you know, it just sounded so much more like, you know, like a proper tune, do you know what I mean? Rather than just well, a jam. I think, I think the thing about the, the, the structural things, I think once, once we'd established, cause it was a collective thing. I'd come in and say, I, you know, I love this bit, but I really think it, so I think it should go on more longer or it should mm-hmm. come back again in a, in a similar form or different form or whatever. Mm-hmm. Once we'd highlighted bits, and you, and, the, and you guys had agreed, yeah, that bit's killer. And this bit here does go on a bit, and we probably don't need this this bit here, whatever. Once we kind of agreed on that, it also then we could throw questions back because if we were repeating a bit, it's like, well, how are we going to make this bit more interesting? And yeah. doesn't, if let's say we were we were coming back to a similar guitar riff, yeah, we could slightly alter the riff, or we could think of another effect for it, or it might not be your issue. It might be. Well, the baseline needs to change underneath it when it comes back because yeah. it's just boring being the same. So everybody then got involved in how do we make the good bits even better uh-huh. if they're going to be repeated. So then it became a suddenly it became a collective thing, and it's something I really, I really, I feel quite strongly about, um, particularly with bands. I think you you need to have everyone needs to feel like they sort of own it. Everyone needs to feel that they're part of that process. Definitely, everybody wants to feel like they're standing there and being told what to do. Because what fun's that? Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think everybody did by the end of that rehearsal period felt like, well, you'd all written it, yeah. but then you'd all contributed to making it better with me. Yeah, yeah. And it could be really exciting then going to try and record that. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember hearing that you were responsible for that. Was it the three hundred three in the back of that of the people? On oh, the people, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Or nods to the kind of yeah. What did that come from? Um, well, it was just we. I think, but well, this might have been Phil's idea originally. I can't remember Adam actually. Well, I mean, um, it, I think it probably it probably was whether he whether he birthed it with you. I'm not sure, but um, I think it was and the 808 at the end. I'm not sure that maybe, maybe the 808 was purely you, but I, I do remember Phil always talking about because I didn't even know what one of them was. Do you know what I mean? Phil yeah. would always say, oh, "I want one of these on it," and I was like, well, "I don't know what that is." Well, didn't you do when when I came to rehearsal? You would do it because you because because obviously one of your big signature sounds was your electro harmonics filter pedal, yeah, which yeah. obviously we hear a lot as on that tune, but we hear it really a lot on um, Long Road, and and I think you did something on that where you went faster and did something on it high up, and it sounded quite like a kind of acidy line. Yeah. And I think Phil said in rehearsal, "Can we make that more like?" proper dance floor acid house or whatever he yeah, said. Yeah. I don't even know what he said. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I and I didn't, again, I didn't know whether synths were even an option at this point. It's like, because you were, <laughs> you know, we talked a lot more about jamming and the rock end of stuff and uh, in rehearsals and stuff. And, and I was like, well, we could just do it on a, on a 303. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, it could have been like pin drop. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, right. What, what should we do that? It's like, we'll just program it and just, run it along and just fiddle around with it and see if we get a, a sound that everyone's into and it can slot in. And and it's like, yeah, all right. So it was like, okay, cool. Then we can start to bring in some other, that for me was like, we can start to bring some other textures then. So Definitely. we can get into some programming stuff if we want to. And obviously um, it wasn't just about me. Um, my engineer, Barney, um, is really into programming and editing and cutting stuff up. And, and it kind of, 
So it was like quite exciting for both of us because it's kind of, well, we might have some downtime where we can start messing around in the studio mm. and try some stuff out and play it to you and see, see if it's something that excites you or you just go, nah. And, and <laughs> a lot of those things made it to the record because you got excited by them and you then went, oh, could I, I, might, I might play a guitar line along with this new bit of whatever nice, we got on nice, it. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was good from that whole collaboratory point of view. It's like salted caramel to me, man. It's I, I love the sweet and the savory, and and having that that Zeppelin sound of rock of a band mixed with that that acid is just. Uh, well, I yeah, think that's, I, you that's know, beautiful. I think it's um, you know, it's it's the thing that links it to it, isn't it? Do you know, well, one of many things in that tune, but you know, it. I think it's well, it's an iconic moment in that tune, and it, to be fair, we've never used it live. And it's something, you know, to link to the Temple Newsom gig, actually. It's something we've been talking about. Um, is is uh, having that sample running along for the people when we, right. we... Because we never used it live. But, yeah, I think that, you know, that and... Like you say, when... I do remember now, and we were massively receptive to all that stuff. And, again, you'll have been impressing Phil. And, again, you know, once Phil's impressed, it's much easier to impress everyone else. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> Oh, definitely, man. Because that's the thing. And like you say, we were a gang. So, you know, whether Rob suddenly gets vibed up about summer, it's like, all right, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. Do you know what I mean? Or whether Phil's yeah. vibed up about summer or Stewie's or, do you know what I mean? It, it yeah. It's infectious. It runs throughout everyone. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Barney. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of go on to that, definitely. And, you know, both the experiences of recording the first EP and the actual album were, I mean, you know, literally, literally some of the best memories of my life. Do you know what I mean? And Because we didn't meet, oh, Bar we didn't meet Barney until... We actually started recording, did we? No, and, no. You know, sort of your personality um, and then Barney's personality were just they were too fucking perfect, really, weren't they? And we'll get on to all the, the banter <laughs> side of shit and all that, do you know what I mean? But, you know, <laughs> all, you know, like you said, you talk about gangs and that and straight away you sort of, you really felt like part of the gang and we were in that studio in Soundworks, um, in that basement, yeah, you know, yeah. no natural light and we were coming out and going down to the pool hall, the snook hall, weren't we? Oh, yeah, 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 That's yeah. It. Yeah, going down to the snooker hall and getting his dinner and all sitting around and talking about films and uh, stuff like that. And, you know, just, just spending time with you like that as well. Um, that All that stuff just made us trust you. Do you know what I mean? Because it was never... Right. Do you know, it, it was never awkward. And, and um, I'm sure, you know, you probably worked with lots of young bands in the past or any band where you'd like, straight away, you're like, oh, well, this is awkward. Do you know what I mean? And that's... Oh, yeah. That, you know... That's, Absolutely. Yeah. Completely. And it's like, you know, you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're different ages and we, but it's, it doesn't matter if you... I think there's like, you know, these sort of cyclical cultural reference points come around, don't they? And if, if we'd have been... Uh, if we'd have been at school together, I'm sure we'd have hung out and had a laugh and taken the piss out of each other. And, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, definitely. Play jokes on the same people. And <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. man. Um, you know, and it wasn't only sort of what you brought to our tunes as well, but I remember, I, I'm jumping, my mind's jumping around here, but it doesn't matter, it's fine. But I remember sort of actually when we were recording, um, we were in the studio, I think we were, you know, we'd been drinking copious amounts of red wine and we had the fucking massive speakers on and you put um, <laughs> you put on What You Want by Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I'd never, Ooh, I'd never heard that. Do you know what I mean? I'd, you know, I'd uh, been exposed to a lot of music, but, um, and then through Phil started to get into that side of things. But like, I'd never heard that tune. So I remember that night really fucking well. You you played What You Want really fucking loud. And I remember that drum intro. It was just like, oh my 
God, do you know what I mean? And uh, the kick drum on that, and then uh, and then next it was um, Spirit of Eden, Talk Talk. Do you know what oh, I mean? And yeah. you, you introduced me to that. Oh, and, bloody hell. And that's still to this day literally one of my favourite records. And, um, you know, and what was the next track? The next track was Prince, I Would Die For You. Ah! So literally... Well, I think, yeah, no, I could... Oh, wow. Because I, I can remember. I don't know who played this, but again, I, I became an absolute favourite. was the... I didn't have this record. It was that um, Granddaddy album, Software Slump. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Someone, I don't know who it was you or somebody in the, somebody in the band played the 2000 Man. And I'd, I'd heard Granddaddy before, but I didn't know that tune. Right. And it... And I remember that blew my mind. It was like, oh my <laughs> god! And and because I think at the time we were doing, we were doing maybe we're doing the dance or something. We're doing a long intro, yeah. And it was and, they, and they'd suddenly gone very kind of proggy on that record. It was like, oh wow! Mm. And yeah, no, I'm, well, we used to sit around and just chat and play music. So yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, that's that's amazing, mate. Actually, I would have loved to have been a fly on a wall in that in that <laughs> during those times. <laughs> oh, oh man, it was fucking hilarious. I mean, getting onto that side of things. I mean, do you remember spending? I think we must have spent nearly a week where we were all just talking with Australian accents. Do you know what I mean? Literally, just for banter. <laughs> do you not remember that, Jim? Yeah. Do you not? I yeah, don't, exactly. I, do you not remember when we all had to roll our sleeves up and act like we had vests on at Rob at Rob's? Oh at, my! Yeah, God. yeah, man. At Rob's request, I've got that picture of you sat in the sat in, <laughs> sat in the at the desk with your sleeves rolled. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> do you know what we i think you're saying that it, like it, it was great that it worked out with the, the personalities of me and barn fitting in with you guys but i think we also lucked out at that studio oh yeah because we were there we had a lot of i remember it was uh well the, the album was in the summer maybe the ep was the spring but we we had some good weather mm-hmm. and we had they did like barbecues and oh, stuff and yeah we had, they had we had, we had on bike rides i mean it was just like five or six go mad in the country whatever it was just <laughs> it was you couldn't have made a better back, backdrop to make it a record, it, could you? Literally, as I say, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's the same for other lads as well, but literally some of the best mo- uh, memories of my life so far. I mean, as you say, the weather was absolutely perfect. And yeah, we did. Uh, the EP was not, there wasn't a long gap between the EP and the album. But yeah, we were having them barbecues, like say, and there was that chef man. I mean, we had, there was different chefs that came in, but there, were yeah. that, there was that one chef, Paul, who'd been a military chef and he did them fucking bananas um stuff with chocolate that were on barbecue do you remember them like we'd honestly we'd be going to orders every day and going like oh uh what chef's on tonight he'd be like oh it's paul he'd be like oh you fucking get in it's paul get in <laughs> wow i think as well that it, it, <laughs> The thing I've, I think that's it's a, it's a it is a really a, a shame that um, people don't put time into the social side of recording so much. Oh anymore yeah, because we we work really hard. I mean, we were doing long, long days mm-hmm. and working six day weeks and whatever. At, you know, fourteen, fifteen hours a day, easy. But we'd have a if it was a nice afternoon and we were stuck on something, you'd be like. Let's get the football out. Come on. Yep. Headers and volleys. Yeah, exactly. And we'd have a kick about for half an hour or something. And then you'd go back in and you'd, but you'd kind of like, you'd forgotten all the stress and you'd just come back and you'd try something else. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think oh, yeah. a lot, we, too many people sit there with the track on loop and don't leave until they've yeah. recorded something. It's yeah. like, it's bollocks. You know? I mean, do you remember recording Turn Out the Light and Rob doing the vocals with a full on gaffer beard? 
Do you not remember? No, I don't oh, remember. come on, man. Fucking, I wish I had a picture of that, man. Like, honestly. I don't remember. And, like, honestly, Jim, you, you, listen back to Turn Out the Light just for a laugh. And we're on the baby, baby bits. You can even sort of hear that he's got gaffer tape on his mouth like that. Do you know what I mean? Because he's got a full on fucking gaffer beard, man. That's fucking one of my favorites. What was his gaffer beard in Adolf? What was that about? She just, just for advanced. Because that were, I mean. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that that's why we that you know that's why Rob is what he is. Do you know what I mean? Because he was just he just made any situation so much fun, and it, you know, especially when he was in yeah. the right mood, which he sort of always wore in them days. Um, yeah. And you, like I say, just suddenly going right, everyone roll your sleeves up. We're all wearing vests today, and we'd all be like, oh, "All right, yeah, let's get sleeves up." Yeah, <laughs> just, just walk around with all the sleeves up and shit like that, just for no reason. But yeah, we we also had um, we had the the added um, uh, the added entertainment that was uh, the lovely Daniel Bedel, Bedingfield, didn't we as well? Do you remember all that? Oh, do I do remember that. Flooding his bedroom, yeah. flooding his bedroom because fuck it, oh. just water coming through the ceiling, and we were like, what the fuck's going on? And like, oh, Daniel Bedingfield's left the bath on. <laughs> just like, do you remember him? Do you remember him complaining? He he complained about the noise. Oh, did he about <laughs> us? Oh, did he? <laughs> I, I yeah. didn't remember yeah. that. I mean, this is this is <laughs> this blew my mind. I went down for breakfast one morning because we've been there for about two weeks and we just got into our but nobody else coming in. Yeah. So we got into our thing and we'd sort of made the studio our own and obviously it was quite a big studio because they had a whole other studio across the drive, didn't they? Mm -hmm. And um, but the the accommodation was all in the same house. And I remember I went in for breakfast because um, I generally used to get up before you lot and uh, have a little <laughs> listen. Uh, and I was having my breakfast and the owner, Andy, comes in and he goes, Jim, do you think I can have a word with you, please? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he went, well, actually, could we go in my office? I went, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of re reminders of being, being at school yeah, headmaster. Right. <laughs> and so I go in and he went, yeah, um, I'm, this is really, really awkward for me, but um, you know we've got another artist in the other studio? And I was like, yeah. He said, well, um, he's just he's decided to sleep in the room above your, your lounge and... Um, He's just wondering if you guys would mind keeping the music down because he's keeping them awake. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I went, mate, it's a fucking recording studio. It's a studio. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't you like move to another room? He went, oh, I think he really likes that room. I went, well, I have a word, but I'm not promising anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. obviously, I didn't say, didn't say anything to you lot. It's like, what are you on? Oh, honestly, but this was the same <laughs> lad, though, wasn't it? That uh, I can't remember how we they, we came about to know this, but I, I almost think there was some someone were looking for him and they couldn't find him anyway. And he was supposed to be doing some vocal takes, and I'm sure they ended up finding him hiding in a cupboard, and he'd been hiding in the cupboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was, it, but it, but you know what? It, it all that actually helped because it made us even more of a unit we just used to have we yeah. just used to cry and with laughter at the next story that would present itself over dinner someone would go have you seen that bloke from have you, have you seen what he's doing and, we'd be, and it'd be another whole <laughs> series of banter and an older set of impressions and and i think it just it made it even better didn't it really oh yeah absolutely man absolutely um i mean there's another moment as well in there and it's going back at this will be try to remember now we recorded the EP, the four songs, didn't we, deliberately first. I was just trying to remember yeah. if it were mixed up. But when we were recording Healer, in fact, yeah, I mean, you'll remember. When we were recording <laughs> Healer, Phil, because it's a quite a fast tune, Phil was having a bit of a nightmare, wasn't he? Phil was having a nightmare getting the track together. 
I, yeah, I, yeah. I thought it, I thought it was in the album part. Was it in the EP part? It, well, it might not have been, but either way around, either way around, yeah. I suppose it don't matter. But anyway, obviously he had that nightmare, didn't he? Try to record it, and he. I mean, we talked about it on the podcast before briefly, but where he, because um, he stormed out that night, didn't he? He, he kept fucking, yeah. he kept fucking the take up, and it really pissed him off, obviously. And he fucking stormed out anyway. But then he came back and did this, yeah. fuck, and did this monster take. Yeah. But then Barney deleted it, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we was <laughs> you should have seen it from where we were though right because this oh this was amazing because we were in the we were sitting at the desk and the studio that you were in sort of went sort of lengthways away from us and it was slightly down like four steps down from us yeah so you the three of you all apart from phil we could see you all like standing around like you know nice lighting and stuff with your headphones on rocking out but we was the drum kit was set up facing you guys away from us so mm. all we could see of phil was the top of his drum kit his woolly hat and and his tops of his arms and his sticks that's all we could see because he always used to wear his woolly hat because he, he didn't like the headphones on on, uh, on his head or something he yeah, liked yeah, to put yeah. his hat on and so he would always just see this bouncing hat and these headphones <laughs> And then <laughs> we did that, these like loads of takes this song. And it was a one, this one big drum fill that was really difficult and he kept fucking up. And then at one, so we're going for this, this take. We sort of had a good chat about it. He was feeling good. He went for this take. It was going really well. Of course, it gets to the, the drum fill and he, and he misses it a bit. And then it, we didn't realize what was going on because we were just like the speakers loud. We were just rocking out. And then we just saw these pair of sticks bounce off the snare drum up into the air. And this hat walk out across the room with a door slam. <laughs> and I'm like, Barney, is that Phil? And he's like, yeah, look out there. And he pointed out the window and he was just walking across the field. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you lot were going, is, is Phil coming there? We're like, nah, no, he's gone into the field. <laughs> I think, I don't know whether you or Rob, I don't know, or Stuart, one of you had to go out and talk to him and sort of, you know, reason with him. <laughs> and then they, he came back and then he did a, then he did a yeah, killer take. But um, yeah. And then um, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, uh, something happened to the hard drive. <laughs> there was an incident, oh. wasn't there? There was an incident. Yeah. Now, now the hard drive. Did, did Barney, did Barney tell you about the incident? Did you bear witness to the incident or did Barney come up to you and just go, we've got a problem no, it here? it was the next morning because I think we just did, did it and went, okay, well, we'll check that. Me and Barney will go through the takes and we'll, we'll edit the best and play in what we've, we've got, you know, get up about lunchtime, whatever, come in lunchtime. And um, I went down and, and Barney was looking really, really, like, sheepish. I went, how was it, mate? How does it sound? He's like, um... <laughs> and I went, uh, what's um mean? He went, well, uh, it's it, it's not all there. And I went, what's that mean? He went, uh, well, this is what I've got. <laughs> and it, <laughs> I don't know what had happened. But I think he had, like, a hi-hat yeah. and uh, a DI'd bass or something. That's all That's it was. Like, Just hi-hat. <laughs> and uh, I went... Yeah, you're having a laugh, and you went, I wish I was, mate. I don't know what's happened. So we had to work out what to do. <laughs> and I th I'm pretty sure my idea was very famous five. I thought we'd go out on a bike ride. <laughs> Which is what we did. Find a nice hilltop or something, and I'd say, guys, 
I think we should have another go at that. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, absurd. Yeah, man, and that is exactly what happened. I remember getting up that morning after and uh, <laughs> you going, oh, do you and Rob fancy coming through? I didn't remember it were a bike ride. I do now. I thought it were a walk either way. You know, do you and yeah. Rob fancy coming out? And I remember going, uh, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah. And then you, t- you two were walking a bit in front and me and Rob were like <laughs> going on here. And then, you, we, like you say, we got to that bit and then you just whipped round and just went, uh, look, we've got a problem here. <laughs> we uh, we were like uh, right. It was like uh, I can't be having a show. You said uh, Barney's managed to lose the rest of Let Love Be the Healer that we did last night. <laughs> and we were just like, oh shit, man! You mean that one that Phil got fucking so worked up about? He stormed out. Oh my fucking! <laughs> but I mean, it get you know it. Uh, it was a great moment, really. That and you know it the, it fucking turned out absolutely immense. That tune, oh, yeah, anyway. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, as did a lot of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, another one was, I mean, obviously something you referenced earlier and something that was massively important to us was the fact, because the fact we'd, um, you know, we'd been playing live a lot and playing together a lot and we had such power live was about capturing that power on the record. Do you know what I mean? That, and that's something that, uh, that Tim as well and Tony, uh, both managers were very, um, you know, where wanted, you know, to, to capture as best we could, um, which, and it's something that, we'd never really achieved with anyone else as well. We did, you know, we did a couple of sessions. We did a session with Lenny Frankie, actually, which were fucking brilliant. And, you know, yeah. not dissing Lenny in any way because that fucking uh, EP is amazing. We got tuned like Karma off that, do you know what I mean? And you might yeah, yeah, yeah. Try yeah, no, I remember. Yeah. yeah, man, proper, proper, cool, yeah, cool tunes. Um, but yeah, so I think that's something that you really wanted to do with us. And actually, when I've read uh, your articles about you talking, actually, as well, it seems quite prevalent in the fact that it, and, and, you know, the Arctic Monkeys as well, just getting everyone in a room playing that song, you know, to the best of its, you know, as many takes as it takes and, and putting them to get it, capturing that great vibe, do you know what I mean? Um, that was a massive part of making that record for us, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Oh, 100%. I'm glad you picked up on it because it, it's, it means... It, I don't ever even know... I never really actually thought about this and sort of analysed it. I just started to realize as you know much as though I'd spent you know quite you know several years working in a lot of kind of computer based music that may have instruments real instruments on it but centered around a screen mm-hmm. a computer screen and doing that I started to realize that um the thing that was was you know I loved a lot of things I did but if there was anything that I could was missing in it it was the spontaneity of having a take yeah, yeah. and things that I did that had a really good take. There was just something that I don't know, sort of unique about it. Mm-hmm. And well, however, then you dressed it up or whatever you did to it, it just sort of had a form. It the track. If everyone, you know, especially especially with a band that had played together so much, yeah. I'd sort of I was sort of coming into the sort of you know a very really kind of good point in my career, sort of production wise. It was also a point in technology where Pro Tools had taken off and yeah. people were able to edit everything Mm -hmm. and it was amazing tool but i very quickly realized that when i tried out editing everything i might as well have been sitting around with the drum machine in my trip-hop days i wasn't actually getting the thing that i loved about why i wanted to be in the room with a band Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it sounds really obvious to say but i kind of very soon realized that it needed it was actually a lot of hard work there was a lot of listening yeah. there's a lot of doing takes and going guys i'm sorry but you 
just bugger off for two hours because yeah. I'm going to listen to all these takes a lot of times now mm-hmm. and made loads of notes. And it's really kind of, you know, I think it's tedious in some ways to do that process. But then you kind of go, oh, no, this, you keep coming back to this golden take or these sections and go, if we could get that to work with that, it's going to be amazing. And I had, obviously, I had Barney. He was like an, a wizard. Wizard. Everything. Yeah. And um, it was about getting the best at keeping as much as possible. And so much of your, of those of those things started as the four of you, yeah. not jamming so much because you knew what you were doing, but in some of them, at the end, you know, the outros, it'd be like, we'd just be like fists in the air with <laughs> the guitar and you'd just be going, going off on one. You weren't playing what you're meant to be playing. You were just enjoying it. But so much of the, I think the best stuff came out of that. Yeah. And then, then it was easy then to, you know, me sitting there with a whatever I'm on with the headphones on and some twiddly noises and Barney sitting there with his headphones on editing and then going, oh, do you like this noise? It was fun to do those scenes because the take was really, really good. Yeah. And it's massively important. Yeah, well, I suppose like it's it's much easier to work with something when you've got that core that you believe in as a take, like you say. But yeah. I mean, so as it, you know, again, going back to sort of how we looked at our songs, um, for inter- is is that where production lies in your mind? Is it in terms of getting the best out of the band as a unit, um, and then uh, you know shaping that in the way that we did? Because even songs like disco. Do you know what I mean? Disco was another good example of a really wild tune that had no... Well, it had the two bits, didn't it? It had, you know, yeah. we we started where it sounded like Led Zeppelin, it speeded up, and then it went nuts. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. And again, we didn't really do much to that in terms of shaping it, did we? I think... No. But one of the key things was you bringing it back to the start at the end. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a right. that's another good example for me of how that song went from well to a certain degree it was it was really cool but it had a, an element of unaccessibility I think I'll say but bringing the intro in at the end is just a, a, for me a great sign of the elements of production that can actually turn an idea into a great song. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think I, I mean in terms of production, I think things evolved don't they in 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 production uh, I, i'm not sure that now that is the the key to production necessarily mm. i do think the, the thing that's consistent i guess with production is um if you if the producer is obviously loves what the band or the artist are doing mm. so much of it should come from those original ideas yeah and so it was it was brilliant fun and great collaboration to do all the things that to to on top of your songs but a lot of those things were taking a riff and saying oh it's coming back at the end shall we just reverse the order or shall we just play it down the octave and and, and stew plays with you or whatever those simple ideas were they were they were just reinforcing the ideas in an interesting way to pick your ear up again and yeah. go oh mm-hmm. you know you kind of recognize something about it and so it has to come from I don't. I don't know. I, maybe it's just because I, I don't. I don't. Maybe I don't think of enough stuff. But I don't. I don't want to work with people that have got such are so lacking ideas. They're looking to me to provide all the ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know my ideas. I'm bored of them. They're shit. Whereas <laughs> I'm there because the ideas are inspiring me to go. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did that? And then if your mm. eyes light up and go, oh, I thought of that. Mm. We're off. We're off on this journey now. And yeah, that's what's exciting for me. Yeah. So when you were when you were recording them and and you said the studio was set up where you could like look but look down on them. Two questions: yeah. Did you ever 
get pictures of that time of uh, in the recording studio? Do you ever have pictures of that stuff? And do you have any of the old recordings that you, uh, some of those takes that you guys did? Uh, I don't, I don't think we have pictures. I'm pretty sure we don't. I'll tell you what, um, we, I'll tell you what we do have though, Jim. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but it is being digitized as we speak. Um, Phil and Jen had a camcorder down there, didn't they? And they filmed loads of stuff. I didn't even remember. Really? They filmed, oh, I didn't remember that. They filmed tons of stuff. There's us recording Long Road. There's me doing guitar takes. There's you and Barney oh, doing things. I don't mm. remember that, no. So, wow. yeah, uh, Jen Jen found it recently in the loft, uh, Phil's, uh, Phil's wife. And um, yeah. obviously they're getting it digitized so i mean you know we'll have to send some of that down to you because that'll be absolutely okay. hilarious to look. oh my god i'd love to see that that's amazing yeah, i don't yeah. remember i don't remember the filming actually well i mean we we did all sorts of does stupid... that make you nervous <laughs> <laughs> yes that, was that, that, involved yeah. that's, the, that's the thing though is you know when you did say right you know go and do something for two hours while you know we go through this and put this together and then we'll start doing stuff on it what we were actually doing in that time, if we weren't playing football, was doing stupid stuff like uh, make uh, Phil. Uh, no, it, it was Robin Stew did their own like mockumentary with Phil filming. Do you know what I mean? And all these just <laughs> exactly all these just ridiculous things. And we ended up. I don't know if you remember, but on the top floor of where the band usually stay. There was like a third floor with quite a steep set of steps. So we, we got all the mattresses and we put all the mattresses down the steps and just started <laughs> and just started diving down these steps and shit like that. It were, you know, Why it, you? We, were, we, we were proper kids. Uh, there's, there's a great moment as well where Rob's obviously been and bought, uh, he'd obviously gone to the local village and bought a bike and he just comes trundling down the track on this and you just hear this bell and literally on the video, everyone's like, what is that noise? Is that a bell? And then Rob just comes around corner on this little bike, looking proper pleased with himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, well, in, in answer to your uh, your question, Pete, about the recordings, I, I again, I don't think I do. Um, I think that there may be there may be some takes on whoever ended up with the drives at the label, but I. I don't think I have anything anymore. Unfortunately. Oh, okay. I mean, to be honest, we've we've probably got we've probably technically got the dats, but you have what I mean, we didn't you know when we didn't really work from demos as such, did we? We worked from what no. we we were playing live, so we might as yeah. we might have initially well, and that will have been why you know we'll have been hesitant to send you the practice room stuff because we were like yeah. no 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 do you know what I mean? It's not not ready for public consumption yet. So I mean, Pete, Pete's just thirsting for some really interesting audio, <laughs> early audio. But we have got sure. all that. We have got all that stuff because Phil, to his credit, um, is what is what he refers to himself as a digital hoarder. So he's got ah. he's got a hard drive full of stuff. So so Pete as well, you know that stuff is around, and I can dig through that nice. as well and try try and find some of the the really early things. But they're not. That's the point. That is the whole point. Is that they're just vibes. Do you know what I mean? They are they're literally yeah, just, yeah. just vibes with bits of vocals. And that's what, you know, that's what we sat down and we did with Jim um, is we, we put them together. Do you know what I mean? Into a cohesive, into a cohesive order. I mean, like I got, again, going back to the people, um, that change, do you know what I mean? That were kind of your idea where we were the effectively the third verse, but we kind of referred to it as a middle eight where it's effectively just a verse again, but it, the beat shifts and I drop down onto them just simple but dreamy chords. Do you know what I mean? That that again, yeah, yeah. that is just such a great element to that tune. 
Yeah, I, th I think, and in terms of the, the structure and stuff, I think we probably did, well, we did do more more work on the more singly tunes. Yeah, yeah. Because, because um, I mean, I, I loved standing in the room listening to you doing a nine-minute version of them. <laughs> and I'm sure... I'm sure if I, you know, after, after uh, what copious amounts of whatever substances, yeah, you kind of liked it just the, even more. But uh, the idea, the idea of it coming on the radio yeah. and um, lasting three whatever you're allowed to have in those days, three minutes yeah. thirty, were you? Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't, we had to get the best bits into that. So we ended up, in my mind, was always on the on the more kind of likely to be single tunes is what's the best we can get it to be as an album tune yeah. so whatever that is four and a half minutes whatever five minutes and and is there a way of getting a really good version at three and a half mm. and some of them were a struggle but um it, it that took a lot of work whereas other tunes we didn't like you know that for example the instrumental i mean i just wanted you to have fun yeah jamming what the way you'd done stuff your whole band lives okay. i mean it yeah. was like if we could, if we could put some crazy noises in and make it more like the record, yeah, then yeah. yeah. But I wasn't about to go. All right, let's deconstruct that riff for that bar. That I mean, it was just meant to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that I, I mean, that was one of my favorite parts. Obviously, was you know once we got the takes down, got these great takes down. That you know that was the time where I'd get to come in and effectively sit with you, and you know we'd start layering with really cool guitar stuff. And I always love listening back to things like human, you know, the stuff going off in human. Do you know what I mean? It's all sorts of stuff going off in human. And it's interesting, quite a few people have said, oh, synth, synth. It's not, is it? It's all me on guitar. No, 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 not at all. Yes, it's all my guitar lines that we've um, taken and messed with. But, you know, that was, I, I love doing that stuff. But it was interesting because I'm sure, we, like, mine and your relationship, it was always like, right, Adam, we're going to use a little bit less delay a little bit less reverb, a little bit less distortion, and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we had that. We had that really cool original purple blues breaker, didn't we? And that fucking hell, that thing just sounded awesome, man. And we did oh, brilliant. stuff like we went. We went through. Let's be honest. We did do a bit of a kind of classic LA recording thing at the start. We went. We we did get in a lot of snare drums and Marshall amps and just. Les, well, everything, yeah. every kind of classic thing that we could get in, we got in and went through them all for a day. And we ended up with that combo, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think your original guitar, I think you just still played your original guitar, didn't you? I think I still played my original guitar. Did I, or was that, did I use that Les Paul? We, I used a mix. We did, we, used a mix you may have had an extra, did we have a gold top in hired in as well? I maybe? think so. I think we had a gold top in as well. But that, I mean, you know, that it's a separate issue really, but that's the one I spoke about before when I said that, Pretty much every, whenever we've recorded an album, I've I've never really used my own gear, if you know what I mean. I've always looked for the cool vintage amps or stuff that have come in. And, you know, a, a good example is, you know, let's take the Electro Harmonics Microsynth. Now, I had um, a modern one and it sounded a certain way, but I think it was you that were like, let's hire an original one. And I were like, what? Do you know what I mean? It, I remember you saying, the one with the green light, let's get one of the ones with the green light. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're on about. Anyway, but we got one and the sound, the difference in the sound were just unreal. Do you know what I mean? And like the, yeah. the, the people and Long Road. And I remember you sitting there going, right, just play. And I'm going to fuck around with this thing. Do you know what I mean? And you were sort yeah. of, you were manually going back to fucking DJing days. Do you know what I mean? And getting... Oh, mate. <laughs> I remember we did. We did. I, mean, I think you probably got pretty, 
pretty bored of doing this because oh, we were like just, just one just one more just one more and you'd be like <laughs> you got to the, we would we were messing with it so much that it was like there was no attack on it you you can barely play the riff anymore you're like mate i'm what what are you doing because <laughs> it was so warped but I, I think it was that and another pedal as well and we would and it was just we did loads of takes and then just sat there and went okay let, you know let, let the riff play so we get the idea of the riff then let's just throw some stuff in and turn it on its head and mm. and it was it was like kind of cut up djing kind of an idea really yeah yeah, um, yeah it was it was exciting to do oh massively massively um and as i say you know looking back on that process now and even making records since then um it, it, none of them really had the same magic as making that first record um and you know work uh, coming up with them riffs and working on them sounds um it was just a fucking privilege you know and it was so fucking exciting and we had we had a really strong unit bond, didn't we? And that's something that I thought was yeah. quite interesting, actually, and something that I wanted to ask you about and whether you've come across it before, is, is it common, effectively, and, and it's two questions, it's twofold, really, is the sense that, you know, we had that gang mentality and very much it kind of felt like there was us and you guys and then there was the management and the record label. Do you know what I mean? Do you, is, that, is that a common dynamic do you know what i mean where you've got two different camps when you're making a record or do you find that that's you know i think i think it used to be i think it's a very much happens more with bands because i think um i mean i, I think working as in a record company is a difficult job mm. because you know is that there's you are not you don't have when people are making the records as an a and r man you don't have a lot of contact with them you have to put a huge amount of faith in people to go and do something that you then have got to treat as a product. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. it's a very, very. It really is the you know the, the hard face of art and commerce shoved together that job. Mm. And so I, I and at, when I first started in studios, I, I was very much in the, in the in the musician and studio camp and like pretty anti. The, the, I just used to refer to everybody as the suits, and I didn't think that. <laughs> And I, and I had lots of, you know, sort of friends who worked in that side of things who I, you know, liked a lot. But as far as I was concerned, they just weren't the same beast as people who yeah. worked in the studio or in bands. And obviously, people who worked in studios are different to bands, but there's a commonality when you're there together making your record. Yeah. And um, and, and obviously, as I've got older and whatever and learned, had different sort of experiences, I, I don't feel it's, just, it's just exactly the same <clears> now. <throat> And also, there aren't as many bands, mm. um, and I think in that era there were way more bands than solo artists. And when you're with a band, and then you've got a producer, and then you've got a team of people who help w work with them, rather than a one-man machine, you've got a producer, probably an engineer, and maybe yeah, yeah. a guy that does bits of programming, and your assistant. You become a self-contained unit. Yeah. And if you're getting on, you don't really need. A, well, you don't think you do. You don't feel that you need someone else's opinion saying, you know, that bit there, that bit there. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that idea does happen, used to happen quite a lot. And But one thing I started to realise uh, was that it was almost a masochistic pleasure to play tracks to the label or the management. <laughs> but, um, because it made me listen more critically than I had done for the last few listens. I mean, I, hopefully mm. I have a critical ear anyway, so I'm trying to make it as good as it can be. Mm -hmm. But when I play it to someone outside who, ha who has a valid opinion and then in the process, I'm sitting there like normally with my head in my hands thinking, well, I've got to sort that bit out. And this bit, <laughs> how, did I, how did I let that bit go? And, and I'm just waiting for the comment at the end. I know what they're going to say a lot of the time. It's like, 
are you going to sort that middle section out? Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, they go, are you going to sort that? I'm like, yes, middle oh, really? section. Okay. Yes, I'm going to sort the fucking middle section. And it's actually, very, it's really, it's painful, but it's very useful because it, you know, it reaffirms things you were unsure about. And, yeah. and, and as long as they're, they are prepared to have a discussion about it and work, at, work with you. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, for example, Dave Boyd is a very knowledgeable man, a very approachable man. Yeah. He'll tell you if it's crap and he'll be really honest with you, mm-hmm. but he'll help you. Yeah. And if you've got that kind of vibe, then it's actually very useful having that opinion. Do you remember when Tim came down? I, would, I just try to remember if it was Tim and Tony or if it was just Tim. Um, <laughs> and, we, and we played him Getaway. Do you remember that? It, well, vaguely, vaguely. What happened? Well, yeah, basically, we Getaway is another good example, actually. Similarly, uh, similar to the people, in a sense that we had a vibe and we had a couple of bits, but we worked a lot on turning that into what it was, didn't we? Yeah. And so Tim had heard it, at, you know, very embryonic stage, and it, and again, like you say, very much like Dave Boyd, our managers sort of were like, well, you know they're in there and we don't really know what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? I remember, <laughs> I remember they came in and we were buzzing about getaway. Do you know what I mean? We were, we were proper buzzing about that tune and we played Great it to song. Tim on the bigs, played it to Tim on the bigs. And, um, I just remember him turning around. I can't remember exactly what he said word for word, but I remember him turning around afterwards and basically going, well, you know, we need to sort that out, don't we? And, do you, do you not remember? Do you not remember Rob? Well, I think, I think he said, maybe I'm wrong, but I think he said something about, the NME or something. I think he says something like, well, the NME aren't going to like that or something. Was it and, fucking hell? It was something, maybe it was, maybe I'm doing him a disservice, but no, it was something no, that it. I was like, we're leaving what? that. We are leaving that comment in the podcast. Even if he didn't say it, we're leaving that <laughs> in the podcast because we're going to listen to this. So I, I can't wait to just imagine him going, I didn't fucking say that. So we're going to leave that in. But, <laughs> oh, it'll be emailing me. Don't give me my email address. <laughs> that comes up so many times on this podcast about that his yeah, yeah. poor decision Big, on getaway. Rob, I know he feels so bad. Rob stormed out. Do you know what I mean? Do you know I, Rob literally stormed out and were really pissed off because, like, we'd and again, it, it reinforces the point that we were such a gang. Uh, we'd all become, you know, really emotionally invested in these in these songs that we crafted amongst ourselves, yeah. and it, you know, it very much felt like. Well, it's difficult, really, because you know. It, when you when you're in that bubble, as you say, when we all believe in it, and someone else comes in and kind of looks like they don't, you're like, "What the fuck planet are you on?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I remember us all being really <laughs> incredulous about it, but you know, I just I wondered, um, you know, I I just wondered if that was something that was unique to our situation, or if it was something that you come across a lot. Um, but you know, ultimately, it's only be, it's because people want the best for everything. But it also shows that I suppose everyone's got, even though everyone's on the same page, you know, everyone's kind of got their own slight different way of looking at things. Do you know what I mean? It, whether that's the songs, go on. No, completely. It's I think it's a little bit like the, it's a, a bit like the pundits and football and the managers. It's like you you you've both you both do. Well, the, the pundits have been players or they've been managers and they know about the game, but they're not doing it right now. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the people in the firing line are under pressure to deliver now. And it's that kind of, it's the, you kind of sort of have to respect each other's opinion, but you're not always going to agree. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it can be, I mean, I've had much worse experiences than that, trust me. Um, oh, right. It, really. Uh, and it's, it's, um, it's, well, I think the only issue, I think the thing I, I've, I've always struggled with in in the kind of 
in the in the sort of this part of the industry we're talking about is it's I feel I'm absolutely fine with proper if, if, with a criticism from the right place. Yeah. If someone, if I think someone, and I know your managers believed in you mm. and would have done anything to get you into the places they wanted to get you wanted to be and mm. to make you know do the best for you, and, and Dave Boyd similarly. Mm. But there are people who will say things for the sake of saying things. There will be people who need to, it's a cliche, but need to justify their input um. and will make you run round in circles so that they're a pit that they've tried their idea out. And once it's to my probably by detriment, but once I sniff that out, I just I've got no time for them. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and, and it's and and that doesn't always work out well. Yeah. Um, but but it but it nobody likes being criticised. I don't think it's just if it's from a good place and it's constructive. It's like well, you got to learn to take that and yeah. use it. And then if you if you're positive back, hopefully they're like, well, he listened to us and he tried that idea and that bit worked and that bit didn't. But I think it's better now. So we're all invested. Let's get on with it. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what the worst times of that were. Do you know what I mean? If you could remember the sort of worst instances of that, but that is putting you on the spot. Um, <laughs> the industry is no doubt full of people who... Um, like you say, want to feel like they've got some sort of input, you know, like shit, like executive producer, mother, you know, like that's oh. a, 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 you know, not on not on our first album, but on our second album, we had a you know someone in, who was named as executive producer. Motherfucker never came in the building. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Dream job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the the industry is no doubt full of those sorts of people, and, and like you say, you can. You know, oh, I mean, I've had, I have had, I remain nameless. I have had um, uh, uh, an A&R person ring me and talk about a track, and in really vague terms, but that certain parts of it weren't delivering. And <laughs> this was when We Transfer first came out, and you knew, you knew because you got a sick, you could tick, tick notifications of when they downloaded it. Yeah. And they were talking to me about something and criticizing a version they hadn't downloaded. To listen to. <laughs> and I didn't know that at the time. But when I got back, I, this person who'd criticised this track hadn't even listened to it, and I and, mm -hmm. and I just thought, well, I'm not going to listen to anything else you say yeah. because why would I? It's like, <laughs> well, exactly. It's you know, it's it's, it's that age-old thing of when someone talks like they know about summit, and when they're stood around someone who does know about that thing, that person can be like, literally, there's no point me even listening to what you say, mate, because. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm paying your lip service even looking at you do you know what I mean while you're talking do you know what I mean like say people with such irrelevant ideas but I mean that, like, yeah. that was the beauty of our experience like, I don't think did Dave Boyd even come to he came for like one day I think didn't he it's not like you know yeah, he, did, yeah. he, he didn't come down and you know all he ever did really was sort of go that just that sounds great lads do you know what I mean I mean you know whether he had stronger opinions behind the scenes but in terms of us and our vibe he just came down, took us out in his fucking, took us out in his Porsche and scared us after death. <laughs> smoked, a, smoked a massive spliff with us, and then come to remember driving home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just and that's. No, I mean, he he was he was arm's length, but he. I think if he hadn't, if the first EP had been touch and go, mm. but was prepared to let the album see what happened, he would have been around a lot more. Uh, but I yeah. think I think that I mean we had quite a few conversations about him, but he really didn't want to change you. He just knew that we'd have all the things I'd sort of said to you, we agreed on. It's like we have to do some things just to bring certain bits to the fore and, and leave those other bits. And, and um, I can't remember any, a specific conversation particularly, but I got the idea. Some people, like whether they're artists or whether they're the label or whoever, are like, 
it, the live show has to be an extension of the record. It has to be the same. Some people don't give a fuck. It's like, make a great record, do a great live show, it, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's like, I think he was of the opinion that we're making a record and the boys are going to be killer live and they'll worry about how they make what you've done there into a live show. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Don't yeah. worry about limiting yeah. yourselves. And once we'd established a few of those things, I think we sent him the odd monitor mix if you've wanted one. And um, yeah, that was it really. He sort of kept arm's length and was just pleased that all the reports coming back to him, I think from everybody were, oh, he, wait till you hear this. It's this yeah, yeah. turned out killer. And, and that's, 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 that's an A&R man's dream, isn't it? Because he just, then he's like, well, let's, can't wait to hear this mix. Do you know what I mean? That's his next thought. Well, for what it's worth, yeah. You guys ended up making one of, definitely one of my favorite albums of all time. I mean, it's, oh. it's a masterpiece. Hey, I mean, it is a fantastic so album. Thank you very much. I, I feel bad on Pete because once again, like me and Jim, I don't oh, yeah. know, we hadn't spoken like so long. I, I'm just totally shutting Pete out. But I it's just all right. Back. I, look, I'm enjoying it. Pete, I, I'm, Pete, a, I'm a listener at this point. Yeah, Pete's <laughs> had plenty of time to fucking talk shit anyway. But um, yeah, I think the thing, like you say, you know, you were getting such strong vibes off that first fucking EP. I mean, what were on it, the people, which were just absolutely mind blowing. And then it was life healer and jag tune yeah jag tune yeah and yeah. it was uh, and this ties in actually on another post podcast we did with tim vigan actually where he talked about us going to japan for the first time and playing the people properly and he, he and he reminded us he said you didn't want to play it because you'd only just been working it out with jim and right. so you know we were we'd said oh we're not going to play it and then we'd gone oh go on we'll play it then and obviously it was a fucking amazing moment but that we, you know we yeah. effectively played the structure that um you know that we'd come up with basically i just you know it would it would a fucking it would a banging ep that an absolutely banging yeah. ep and to, and you know to to have the people on there is one of the you know the first things must have just showed him how strong that record were going to be you know what I mean? Which yeah. I, 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 I mean, it's everything's changed now with the delivery of music. But I used to love EPs because mm. you got you you got a real idea about what a band were about, didn't yeah. you? But it yeah. was, yeah. But it was, yeah, like mini albums, I guess. It's I just used to love that idea that as well for recording it. I was I think it's really great to go somewhere and do three or four songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, lots of people go and do a trial song, which I don't think tells you that much about really what you're going to do. Mm. Um, when you're working with someone for the first time, and an album is a you know is a, is a big effort. I mean, an album the way we were working it. I mean, at the end of that album, I was exhausted. I'm sure you guys were. Well, it was a long process. It was a, certainly a long process. Um, but again, you know, we were vibing so much that you remember the situation with Float, where that was a completely different song, and we effectively yeah, yeah I, it, it, it kind of sounded like you too. And I I turned round when we, we we'd got it up and running, you know, it was on the board, and I just yeah. turned round and went fucking hell, it streets have no name, like almost no almost note for note. So we've got to do <laughs> something here. And I think it, you know you just said all right, we'll strip everything out, get the keep the drums going, and just vibe over it. Do you know what I mean? And did we did we? I I wondered about that um, float. Is that did we actually record that with? A drum loop with a loop of Phil or yeah. I felt that when we actually played that to because all the rest we just set you up and either we'd play with a click or we didn't depending on what we're doing but you played as a band but that one I think we did we record Phil doing a little sort of groove and then loop him up and then he played over himself or something pretty much. Something different about how we did that tune I don't remember exactly what it was yeah it's like I say it was because halfway through we aborted the current version of it and 
whether we chopped up some of Phil's drum take and got a vibe going, but yeah, you were just like, just do something. And we just made some up on the spot. Do you know what I mean? And, it, and Rob came up with that killer, that them killer vocals. Um, and we had a, a lot of fucking fun <laughs> doing it. The highest note ever recorded by a male oh, singer yeah. in the world ever. <laughs> <laughs> and the fucking, and all the belly slaps and stuff like that. Do you not remember oh that? Oh my God. When we were yeah. all in the booth, all doing the belly slap. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the one where uh, isn't the um, the lyric something like like feelings afloat or something yeah, yeah. and I thought it said phoenix afloat <laughs> <laughs> I still to this day don't know what Rob sings on I never fucking. understand his lyrics I'm from the states so it's even harder for me to understand but yes yeah, so sometimes I have no idea what he's saying to this day I didn't know that's what he was saying by the way no, he, I think he's saying afloat. feelings afloat and yeah. I remember you were in there he was doing his vocal and everyone's sort of around and I'm, and I'm singing along and just like in the control and going phoenix afloat or phoenix and Bonnie's going what are you singing I went phoenix afloat or phoenix aflame he went it's not phoenix you burke it's feelings <laughs> But it was always Phoenix to me. But yeah, that, the, the, what is the high note then? He, feelings of flow. It's the, the bit in the middle note? section where he just goes super high and holds a note. It's like, Wait, what does he say there though? Do you guys oh, remember? Oh, I, don't even know I, don't, I don't even know what he says on that bit because it were all. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't even have the benefit of listening to him play that live for ages because we just made it up there on the spot. But also like <laughs> the fucking end because you know, not wanting to get into it too much. But there's a long time where I ain't listened to any of our stuff, but. So listening back to it, we're just fucking amazing. But the end of Float, we're just listening back to the end of Float. Going, what the fuck is going on here? Man, it just <laughs> goes, oh, mate, if you haven't listened to it, you need to go back and listen to like last three minutes of Float. It, no, it, I, I did today. I did today because I, I and I, I mean, some of the stuff I, I've heard more over the years, but there's a few that I hadn't, mm -hmm. and and that was one of them. And and I could not believe the ending. <laughs> I, right? I did, I didn't know. I didn't realize. I'd forgotten what was coming up, and I was like, "Hold on a minute!" What's and I was like, here? looking at the thing. What is it? I'd forgotten how bonkers that ending is. I mean, yeah. Ugh, I mean, wall of sound, as they say. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, on, the, on the right awesome. system. Fucking hell, that is intense. Because I mean, yeah. that must have been like a mastering as well, cranking everything up. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure the whole yeah. thing just goes fucking nuts, man. And then it just skirt stops. <laughs> The very end just <laughs> yeah man um i suppose stop. dance is another good example in it as well like where that goes that just goes fucking nuts and i love the fact yeah. that that's track was first on the album we play it first live um you know all the cool shit that was going on with the programming as well and chopping stuff up that was just so exciting for us and that break all those kind of cool things man you know well, I think we did. We do. I think we did some overdubs, or we, we changed snare drums, and we had like really high tuned piccolo snares because we were into that kind of programmy kind of well, not drum and bass, but just kind of like different pitch snare stuff. And there's a bit of program stuff, but I think a lot of it's Phil playing yeah. different snares and over the top and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we've we talked about it a lot on this podcast again. Um, you know, some of Phil's like amazing moments, as which there's lots, but you know, stuff like the end of the dance and like what happens in too high for god's sake do you know what i mean the end of too high fucking hell that's insane yeah. and you know stuff, yeah, yeah. stuff like walls get smaller but yeah that was um but that was the thing man wasn't it it would get in those everyone in live room and getting those takes and getting those amazing moments that's what that's what that record was sort of made up of and then just having fun with it like you said do you know what i mean it, it never felt like we were trying to make a record that was as in important as it is obviously in its own context you know what i mean but it it felt you know 
there was a lot of pressure on that record, I suppose, but it never felt like that to us. Do you know what I mean? Like right. you never transferred that to us, um, and the management never did. I suppose you know. I suppose it goes into what I've talked about a lot in terms of the way we were looked after. You know, we weren't privy to a lot of you know behind the scenes conversations between you and the managers, or you, Dave Boyd, and the managers. Do you know what I mean? It was just such a such a fucking great experience for us. Um, and yeah, you know, you were just instantly part of the gang. You two, weren't you? Do you know what I mean? It was it was a fucking right laugh doing that stuff. It really fucking was. Yeah. So, Jim, are you going to record the fourth album? Are you going to be the producer for the fourth album? <laughs> I probably won't be asked, Pete. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's no fourth album. I, well, just, I, mean, I just figured I'd throw that out I know there. Pete wants to pivot. I know Pete wants to pivot onto some stuff as well, which we will do, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. But, I mean, it is worth mentioning, really, the fact that, you know, we, it was always so frustrating for us in a sense that we made this record for you that was fucking amazing, and then there was all the political shit that happened with the second album, which was Capitol Records took over the entire management of that record. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it went down a much more different alley. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I love that album too. I love Welcome to the North. But, it is, yeah. it, you know, it is, it is very different in it. But yeah. it, it's another element of, well, shit don't go always how you fucking plan it, does it? Or how you necessarily want it, really. Um and it, it did feel like we had stuff that was left unexplored. That's how it felt for me. Anyway. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the second album too, but I think I definitely could have uh, been okay with another album similar to the first album. Well, even, I mean, like... Well, I don't think we would have made another album the same as the first album. Mm. I, I really, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, there would have been some similarities, but I, I genuinely don't think we would have done. I think we would have... We would have sat down and if, if we had made a second record, but I, I would imagine we would have sat down and gone, well, what can we do now? Well, yeah. I mean, and because you, why have, wouldn't we? You'd have smashed stuff like North, Welcome to the North and yeah. Freedom Fighters. and. But it would, have been a, it would have been different to what you did. What you did was great, but it, it wouldn't have been this. I'm not saying you, you're saying that we would have copied the first record, Peter. No. I'm not suggesting that. But yeah, we, yeah, would yeah. Have, we would have made a, a different record again, I'm sure. Because yeah, yeah. No, I, think I, I think. You know, we would have been bored of doing the same thing. Yeah. Would have. yeah. Ultimately, it didn't really matter anyway because it, that stuff was taken out of our hands. That You know, the second album was completely t uh, run by Capital, really, and they wanted to run with an American producer and that. And again, it, you know, I fucking love that record. I loved making it. It was a different experience. It, Where did you make that in the end? Well, we, made, we made that at Southern Tracks in Atlanta. Um, and, like, you know, we'll do... Um, well, I'll talk about this in the future on another podcast because I haven't really talked about this recording experience at all. But yeah, it was, I mean, they were great lads and we had a great time, but it, it wasn't like what the first album was. Do you know what I mean? The, this, Southern Tracks is in a shithole of an area in Atlanta for a start. Right. So it was effectively, in, you know, similar to a business estate on the edge of God knows what. And we were there right. for nine weeks. So it wasn't... And, none of us well i didn't want to be there you know we don't we'd been in america on tour already for six weeks of summer and we just got back and they were like right you know they want you to go start making this record in like a week and we were just like oh yeah, so, you know it was yeah. a, it was a very different experience was that and you know it's a different record and like i said i don't really want to dwell on that too much because you know the experience that we had with that first album you know we're just ultimately we're fucking amazing and as i say for myself you know we had so much fucking fun, didn't we? I mean, well, I do. I, th I think there's. I think there's a lot of. There's a lot as each record. If, if records do well, each subsequent record has even more pressure put on it. Mm. And 
it's a, again, it's going to sound like a cliche, but the idea that I that well, it is a cliche that idea that you have your whole foot, you have your whole life to put into your first record, yep. and then you've got you know a couple of months on a tour bus to put into your second record. Yeah, yeah. and, yeah. and it, it is true. You you have to there's there's suddenly there's a there's a juggernaut of of business yeah. behind you scheduling various parts of your lives when you're trying to make your second record, mm. and and it, it is more difficult. And the bands that I've done follow up records with, there's always a different vibe. There's always something else. A lot of the times there's something else in the kind of aura mm-hmm. other than what's coming out those two little speakers on the desk. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And yeah. I think with a debut record, the beauty of a lot of debut records is there may be some politics going on, but all I care about, because I'm not worried about what your fan base in uh, Belgium yeah. thinks or what the you know the marketing person in Japan yeah. thinks. All I give a fuck about is are we are you we enjoying this and is, are those speakers doing that on the desk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we all vibing on what they're doing? I yeah. couldn't give a fuck about anything else. Second, third records, there's just always something else going on in the yeah. background. Yeah. So you had the opportunity to work on another debut album that was pretty amazing. <laughs> Nineteen with Adele. I'm really curious how that came about how that came about yeah because that's a pretty amazing album and i'd love um, to hear some some personal experience throughout that process sure well that came about because i worked with a friend of hers um and she um it was a guy called jack Peñate who was signed to xl and i was a big fan of xl as a label mm. and um, we got to know a couple of guys and I was doing an album with him and he couldn't sing. He had this high vocal and he was trying to do a falsetto and it sounded a bit weird. And so I said, well, why don't we get a female voice for this bit? And he said, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, and I, I, was, I was thinking about using someone that I knew that would have a certain kind of character voice. And he said, oh, could we use my friend? And those kind of scenarios can often be yeah. really quite disappointing, Horrible. embarrassing studio moments. Yeah, you know? because and you, you're, you've got the problem where you can't say, well, the shit. Do you know what I mean? If, if that if that scenario arrives, it's difficult to say. I have been there. I have been there. And it's just like, yeah, you know, great. Thank you. Yeah, lovely. Um, anyway, so uh, he said, like, honestly, trust me, this girl's great. And I was like, well, who is she? She went, oh, she's actually just literally just signed this week to my label. I've known her for years. She's got an amazing voice. You'll love her. I'll, I'll find out when she's free. And I, so I thought, okay, we'll probably come down next week because we're in the middle of a record. And he and he comes back in and uh, says, "Oh, she can come back. She can come down tonight." And it, it was already quite late. I was like, "Tonight, really mm. late?" He's <laughs> like, "Yeah, honestly, she's on her way back on the Eurostar or something." I was like, oh, "All right then." So anyway, we carried on for a bit, and about an hour later, she comes in and and um, this amazing large than life character, mm. and uh, with with a. I think she had a can of beer in one hand and a ciggy in the other, and um, <laughs> and uh, and laughing her head off at something someone said. And so anyway, we had, had all the mics set up and she started singing and it was like, wow, this, <laughs> this, girl, this girl can sing. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling on. So to cut a long story short, she did, she did some really great vocals and she hung around for half an hour and we had a cup of tea and we're just chatting about life, the universe and what she'd been up to. And she'd been meeting producers because she just signed this deal. And she, we just basically chatted and she asked my advice on what, what to look for. And I, had, I, didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about working with this girl I didn't know at all just thought she had a nice voice and I just told her what I would tell anybody you would ask my advice in that scenario if you know have have conversations talk about the records you like just try and find out something about them do you feel comfortable with them ask them what their ideas are on your songs just your you know it's your decision ultimately don't be pressured into it 
yeah. just make sure you feel comfortable with the person because you're going to spend quite a bit of time with them. Anyway, that was that. And we, I carried on with Jack. And months later, I got a call, or my manager got a call from the label saying, could you come to Excel because Adele wants to talk to you about making a record? Mm. And I was like, well, all right. Didn't know what that was going to entail. But apparently, I don't know, she said that I was the only person who didn't talk about myself, thought <laughs> about her right. and what she would want to have as an experience. Mm. And she said, I instantly felt very comfortable with you. So do you want to try doing a tune and see how we got on? So we did. And it went well. And that was it, really. <laughs> it was a, it was really, really lovely. She was a, she's, uh, was a fantastic person to be around. She was just hilarious mm. and very enthusiastic and a very rare thing at that point was she wasn't there were so many people I met who were bedroom producers who did these ridiculously complicated well we don't even call them demos anymore because there's no such thing as a demo anymore but people who knew all the gear and knew all the supposedly knew all the techniques and you were just there as a I don't know what really as a foil and she just didn't care about any of that she was like a sort of old school sort of diva, not that she was diva-esque, but she just wanted to perform and the songs to sound great and pure. And mm. do you know what I mean? That's all she oh, yeah. really cared about. And it was like, almost like I think kind of going back in time, like we made sure we had a spare mic ready to go in case we it broke and we'd have spare this and everything was completely set up by the time she turned up. Because I figured that We'd have three magic hours probably, right. and she'd get bored. And we had to get stuff in that time. And so there was no time for sitting around editing. It was like, we're recording. We're recording. Oh, is it time for a cup of tea or a walk? All right, now we're recording again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that was how that record was made. And it was really great to do that and not worry about, what do you call it, technicalities and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. definitely. Anyway, yeah. So you did a lot more than one song with her, though. I mean, for 19, I think I heard you well, did we, eight we songs, right? We recording nine, I think. Of, or nine of, yeah, nine, I think eight made it or something like that. I can't remember exactly. I think it's a, I think it's an interesting, a really interesting parallel, do you know what I mean? In the sense that what I was saying earlier about how very soon after meeting you and speaking with you, do you know what I mean? Like your enthusiasm and just approach towards in general instantly convinced us that you were the, you know, you were the right guy. It, it sounds like um, it was a very similar situation with Adele. I, I, well, I think I think there's kind of there's lots of different sorts of producers, but I've always thought they've they've kind of fallen into two general groups. Uh, um, and um, and the way records are made has changed so much in the last few years mm. that this I don't know if this is completely relevant now. But I always used to think there were producers that did what they did, and if they an artist fitted into that and it worked, it could be amazing. Yeah. But a lot of the time it didn't because they just did what they did. Yeah. And there were producers which I thought fitted into who I think are more sort of malleable. And I just, I always thought of the collective. Yeah. And it wasn't about me or what I did. My role changed depending on who I was work, I worked with. Yeah. And I wanted to work with artists who were strong, who had great ideas, and I could sort yeah. of just nuance it and nudge it. So your approach to, to Kasabian then, that must have been quite different with obviously, because Serge having such a, a strong, especially from a production standpoint, idea about what he did. Was that sort of different with Kasabian, how you approach things, do you think? Um, yeah, I guess so, because he was very much a focus of a lot of the production ideas, yeah. but we got on very well. And there was things that I th- I thought of with him, I think it was a case of encouraging him to, to take it as far as he could. Mm. And I just dealt with the stuff that was a pain for him. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think another big part of production 
which you could argue that anybody could do, really, is doing a lot of the legwork that you have to do, like the, the endless listening to takes, yeah. the, the going through stuff, the just trying stuff out that may not work, all those things that sap your energy. You have to do quite a lot of that as a producer a lot of the time because yeah. no one else is going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, so I ended up doing a lot of those <clears throat> things so that he could carry on doing the fun things and experimenting. And miraculously, when he came in in the morning, do you know what? A load of those things that he never bothered with are all kind of sorted out, and that, that, that bit sounded a lot better. And it's like, oh, oh, cool! I could, oh, have anyone got a guitar, Andy? And you could just plug in and do something you wanted to do, rather than going, we've got to sort these backing vocals out. There's 19 tracks of them, yeah. and they're awful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, so it, I, again, I, I bring it down to finding a role that you think helps the band do good stuff. Yeah. Like I, another, like you know them. I did an album with a band called Lady Tron. Do you know Lady Tron? Yeah, yeah. Kind of football synth band. And um, again, it's a lot of it's focused around one guy, Danny, who sort of writes everything. And he takes so much on himself that I realised I had to take a lot of the responsibilities off him mm-hmm. so that he could be an artist again. He couldn't be the producer and the engineer and the artist and the writer and the sort of part-time guitarist and synth. But it couldn't. It was just weighing him down. He couldn't see the wood for the trick. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. again, a different role again with that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's finding your role, I think. And yeah. I, I suppose ultimately that role is getting the best out of the musician in it, really. Getting, yeah. getting the yeah. best out of the musician's idea and making them as comfortable as possible when they're doing the takes and stuff like that. I suppose yeah. it, at that moment as well, you know, then th- those moments are important when people are losing the shit or losing the reds or whatever and, and looking to you at that point. Yeah, well, yeah. And and then then they're difficult from my perspective because it's not nice to have a bad vibe in the studio yeah. because it's, a, it's an intense environment. And, and sometimes you're sitting there thinking, what the fuck's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and try it again. <laughs> we can all be working in a factory right now, let's be honest. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> Good point. There's a kind of balancing it between... It's, I've always thought it's sort of balancing between, you know, the sort of uncle figure, not uncle the band, but, yeah, no, uh, no. you know, uncle Jim who can kind of go, it's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Go and chill out. Play right. Paul for half an hour. We'll, work, we'll do something else. Mix it, kind of be in that arm around the shoulder with, come on, mate, we're going to get this. You just need to just do that yeah. and that. It's going to be cool. You know, yeah, don't, yeah. Be, don't be tough. Yeah. It's some sort of mixture, isn't it? It's, um, and you have to have a bit of both, I think, because it's not the end of the world. No one's losing a leg, but we all care passionately about what we're doing. Yeah, and yeah. it's how you balance it, I think. Well, definitely, and and um, it was such a, a new alien experience for us as well. Do you know what I mean? Sort of going into a studio, like especially a massive studio like that, and you know doing those takes. And we look because, like you say, we worked long hours, didn't we? Do you know what I mean? We yeah. were, we were working late into the night and stuff. And um, I don't know, man. It were it was just a lot of fucking fun. It were a lot of fucking fun. Um, you know, so what have you been doing now? Do you know what I mean? Are you obviously in this lockdown environment? You know, I, well, it was interesting because I was speaking to Nick Hodgson from the Kaiser Chiefs, who obviously does production and things and writing with other bands. And, you know, he was someone who'd never liked working remotely. Is that something that you've been forced to do? Or do you know what I mean? What are you doing at the moment? Well, I, I did try one remote thing last last year when COVID first happened and it sort of put a kibosh on stuff and there was this there was a uh, an artist uh, a girl singer from from LA who had been part of well it's not a sort of scene that I get involved very involved in very often but you know the whole pop kind of endless writing with people and yeah so she'd been doing a lot of 
Zoom writing sessions. And the idea filled me with, not that I was going to be writing with her, I was going to be hopefully sort of producing a track. And we sort of talked about this and got these these programs involved so that we could potentially do something. And um, I just thought, and, and I'd also at the same time was doing a, a, bizarrely doing a sort of interview about music with some other thing. And we got like audio movers and we got all the various programs running to play examples and stuff. And those two experiences made me just think, I just don't think this is for me. Right. Um, I, I, I've <laughs> spent so much of my life, music making life, being in a room with people, yeah. getting excited about the things that you can't predict. Yeah. And my biggest sort of uh, the thing I like least about my job now is the, the lack of spontaneity. Right. And sure. it's because so this because studio time is so precious and people do so much themselves. All I do a lot of the time is, is replicate what they've done at home with better equipment. Right. Mm. And frankly, that ain't production for me. No, that's recording. Um, that's recording. And, and there's people who are very good at that. And, and I, and I, and I find that frustrating. And, if if so, if you have that as a basic modus operandi, and then you remove the contact with the people from that, yeah. you are down to bean counting, in my opinion. Mm, right, and that does not interest me at all. Mm. So, I'm it, so so. Last year, as things opened up again in the summer, we I started to work again because we found places studios that were kind of COVID safe. friendly and yeah. safe, rather <laughs> sorry, friendly. COVID friendly. Um, <laughs> come on, you've got, you've got COVID. Come in, come in. Come on in, COVID. <laughs> anyway, and I, so I got back to work again, and it, and and it was a bit a bit scary at first, and then it all got back to sort of normal again, and it was fantastic. This second lockdown has kiboshed everything. Oh, really? Really has, and um, so I'm only now starting to work again, mm-hmm. having you know, um, I've now had my first vaccination and feel better about going to that environment. But if you think about it, most studios. Are, are the are designed as the antithesis as a ventilated space. They are <laughs> yeah. the opposite. Yeah. And so it is, you know, who wants to be in a room for 14 hours with people you don't know in a closed space with recycled air? I yeah. mean, it's insane in COVID times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping to go back. Well, I'm going but I'm actually, tomorrow I'm, I'm in the studio and then in about a week and a half's time, I'm back in the studio, I think in London then. And then I've got another week off, and then I'm back in on something else. So things are starting to happen again, and I'll just play it, take it one one game at a time. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, that's all you can do, like man. Um, well, Pete, I mean, Pete, what about you? What about you, Adam? What are you? What are you up to? Well, I mean, that's a very long conversation in itself. I'll try and do it quickly. But basically, when when the music split up, um, I. I kind of turned my back on everything and everyone and didn't speak to anyone for about nine years. Um, I kind of just sat in a hole for about four or five years. And then um, I started gardening with um, a lad who I didn't really know that well, actually. He was actually the brother of Jenny, Phil's wife. Um, oh, yeah. He ran a gardening business and he said, do you want to come and help me? So I, I started helping him gardening uh, and ended up doing six or seven years doing that. I absolutely loved that. And then lockdown, then lockdown happened, and as a result of which, um, Tim Burgess did a listening party for our first album. So, ah. so yeah, right. so I, so I had to create a Twitter account to join in with that. But beforehand, I'd not had any social media, so I, I wasn't even, I wasn't even going to take part in the listening party at first because the whole memory is it was so painful. But anyway, cut a long story short, 
I buzzed so much off reconnecting with the memory of the music and all the fans, because obviously suddenly like loads of people were talking to me on Twitter about the band. So I spent a long time uh, interacting with them and tweeting every day and playing playing riffs from the songs, just enjoying yeah. celebrating it. And I started a YouTube channel and started making these what I called history videos because I was getting so many questions about why we split up and stuff like that. So many yeah. questions that I just thought, I can't fucking answer this with a character account on Twitter. So I'm going to start yeah. a YouTube channel, make videos. So I made videos um, and people connected with them. So I started a podcast and then a long story short again, I kind of got the confidence and the drive back to start creating again and kind of decided that, you know, that is definitely what I, I want to do. So as a result of which anyway, I'm now <laughs> writing a solo record and writing um, an instrumental record like in, in a collaborative way. Um, oh, great. Yeah, and um, so doing this podcast and stuff. And then obviously we've got the music reunion in June 2022 when we agreed to do a gig as well and we kind of all got in a room for the first time. That moment was just fucking ace. Do you know what I mean? Because it was, it yeah, was, yeah. It was straight into that banter that you were part of, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, and it was difficult. I'm sure it was for the rest of the lads as well, but you know, losing the band were like losing the most important thing in my life. So over the last 10 years, I've been, well, the way I look at it anyway, is I've just been sort of slowly maturing, I think with a view to being able to actually come back creatively and do stuff with a lot more confidence and a lot more focus, which is what I'm doing well, now. Well, that's brilliant because I mean, this is, this sort of thing has, has been, you know, I've read a few things about this, this scenario um, that if you become well known in a band, say mm -hmm. um, at a very young age, you you stop growing up yeah. because you're, you're taken out of a lot of what growing up is, which is taking on responsibilities, mm -hmm. dealing with situations when people that you that you that are difficult, and obviously within a band you have your own complexities and difficulties, but you're kind of wholesale removed from a lot of the things that people who don't have that kind of success and fame at a young age yeah. go through that they, they do their own growing up at different stages and you sort of remove from it and, and you kind of get stuck at a point where a lot of people are running around doing things for you mm -hmm. and dealing with things that you should probably deal with yourselves yeah. and yeah. and it and I think yeah and what you're saying like you went off and matured and stuff I, it, that doesn't surprise me I mean you I no, mean no. that one would experience that when the band capitulates because it's like what the what the fuck do I do now and yeah. how do I deal with that normal yeah. situation and that I mean it's difficult yeah yeah well it was um it was very difficult really and like I say it was the like you say you, you stop growing up and I've, I've thought about this long and hard and you know like a lot of people you know you, you do school and then a lot of people will go sort of to to uni and interact, you know, make a load of new friends, interact with people, you know, learn about social life, do you know what I mean? Whereas we just lived in that bubble from, well, you know, certainly 18, but even as much as 16, 17, we were starting to get into that bubble. And yeah. then, you know, like, you know, like I had to come back from America at one point and I, did, I had no idea how to do that. Do you know what I mean? I had no idea. Like you said, loads of things are done for you. So it was it was a sobering moment for me, certainly sort of thinking about life after the band. And to be honest, when we split up, I did think, right, well, I'm going to do it totally on my own. I'm going to, you know, just do everything myself. And I wrote about 12 songs back then, nine years ago. But it was weird. I sort of woke up one morning and literally just thought can't do this anymore do you know what i mean yeah. and and that and that I'd, i never touched anything again until 
all this happened, the listening party and that. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to buy all the necessary stuff I need to actually start recording songs again. Do you know what I mean? And the irony of that is I spent quite a lot of money on my Mac and Pro Tools and everything, which I do use and I do need. And I've got a UAD Apollo interface. But I found mm. that I'm having the most joy just sitting down with an acoustic guitar and singing a song and writing it like that. And well, that's, and the, yeah. like you say, I used to, I used to be that guy spending fucking one month on a demo, you know, fucking all sorts of weird shit going on. And it they did sound yeah. amazing, but like, I'm just loving the fact that within 20 seconds, sometimes I've written one in 20 seconds, literally. And it's fucking belter as well. You can go, Oh my God, that's a great chorus. And them songs write themselves. And, I'm just yeah. into, I'm into that buzz now. Do you know what I mean? Sort of chasing that buzz, getting something that anyone can sit down on a guitar and play. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. you know, so and capturing it. Yeah, that's the thing as well, isn't it? It's like that's the thing. One last thing I'll say about the the takes thing being the center of a of something that's really a, you know something a great piece of music mm. is that it's unique. It's what arguably four people did in that room at that point in time mm, yeah and that isn't the product of presets on a machine yep. being endlessly tweaked it's the product of four people hitting a groove or hitting a sound or a feedback note or whatever it is yeah. that's unique to that that little moment and that's lost its importance and i thought why why would that lose its importance? Mm, definitely, <laughs> definitely. You know what I mean? The product of people doing something that only they can do at that point. That, that's the essence of... That's a key element. And yeah, without it, it's just not the same. Yeah, it's the essence of art, in it? I mean, really? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, man. Well, um, I have to say it's been an absolute fucking pleasure, mate, honestly. And, you know, once everything opens up or whatever, I'd love to fucking get in my car and come for a drink with you or something like that. I wouldn't drive home, obviously, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's been amazing. I came in slightly nervous about not being able to remember anything. But once you start talking, in the, mem the memories flood back and it's like, oh, yeah, right. Exactly, yeah. man. But, I need a picture of the. Wish I had a picture of the uh, gaffer beard because that's that's immense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's on the video. I will have to ask Jenny about that. But I will get. I will speak to Jenny about sorting out the footage on there and getting that to you because there'll be, be amazing. There'll be loads, loads of nostalgic value in that. Honestly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I will say it again. Thank you very very much. For, for giving up your time and coming on and talking to us. It really means a lot to me and it's just been so fucking great speaking to you and I'm, I know the rest of the lads are going to love listening to this episode um, because there's been so many fucking memories and I knew, like I said in the email, I wanted to capture you remembering some of them moments. Do you know what I mean? Do you know, I was like, I'm not going to tell him about them in this email. I'm going to see if he remembers them live on air. Capture that genuine reaction because that's what this podcast's all about, man. So thank you very much, Jim. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great catching up and it, it's been really good fun reminiscing. Um, thanks to both of you for having me. And um, yeah, till next time. Thanks, Jim. Lovely Take stuff. Care. Thank you everyone yeah. for listening. <laughs>